Fantasy Mansion did it again. Matt Kelly, the prescient one. I did, yes. The Peyton Manning story. The oldest news story I've ever read. But it's true, this isn't the first time that I pseudo-predicted the future. I predicted how and why daily fantasy sports would be put in jeopardy because they just couldn't keep a low profile. Their mind-bogglingly extravagant advertising attracted the attention of state governments, and we talked about it a year ago on this show. On these airwaves, we predicted the future! We told you what would happen before it happened. Roto Underworld Radio, where you can read tomorrow's newspaper. Yes, yes. Daily Fantasy Sports. Whoosh. What's that sound you hear? It's gambling windows shuddering. State by state by state. And why? Because Daily Fantasy Sports sites just couldn't help themselves. They had to spend more money on advertising sporting events than any other brand in America. That is going to get the attention of lawmakers. Duh! I mean, duh! I told you not to do that! I told you to try to keep a low profile! But you wouldn't listen to me, DFS sites! You need to listen to Roto Underworld Radio, leaders of daily fantasy sports. And after I predicted the how and why of the downfall of DFS... I told you Peyton Manning was on HGH before the Al Jazeera story. We speculated that he was on HGH because how else could he have come back from those series of neck fusion surgeries? Just common sense. Oh, but the buzzards descended on me there. Oh, yeah. How could he be on HGH if he has the least arm strength in the league? Well, he wasn't using it for arm strength. (laughs) Okay? Duh! Duh! That's going to be the name of this show. Duh! Let's just change the name. Roto Underworld Radio, in the garbage. The new name is... Duh! Right? And I told you Peyton Manning was a dirtbag before this latest New York Post article by Sean King. It's really too bad this article was by Sean King because Sean King lacks credibility. I think we would all agree that Sean King isn't the most credible reporter. And that some people writing that story might try to temper their bias a little bit. Not Sean King. Just a ham-handed approach to outlining what for a lot of people is new information. This was covered a decade ago. I remember it being covered well over a decade ago. But for a lot of you, it was news. We've talked about it on this show before, of course. So those of you that have been listening to this show, all 200 episodes, heard the story about the trainer at the University of Tennessee and how she alleged sexual assault on Peyton Manning. We talked about this on the show, and now it's in the news cycle. Now, a year later. Oh, Matt Kelly, the prescient one. Fantasy Mansion did it again. If you go back and read that Sean King story, and you should, as you're reading it, try to pretend that the author doesn't have an agenda. The way it's written, it's very difficult, but just try. The thing that I gleaned from that story that I thought was most interesting were the quotes from Archie Manning. Those were disturbing. Go read them. Essentially, Archie was involved in trying to suppress the story and trying to discredit the trainer. Archie was intimately involved in that entire process, and you could argue that he exacerbated the problem once it was all said and done. And so it was. It was disturbing to read what his involvement was, and then what he said about the situation, about the accuser. Shiver runs down your spine when you read those words from Archie Manning. 
And Archie Manning's involvement in that scandal illuminates why many of us find Peyton Manning so off-putting now. It's the Archie Manning involvement that makes the story all the more disturbing, all the more unsettling. Because Archie's involvement highlights the fact that Peyton Manning is a spoiled, entitled athlete. And spoiled entitlement permeated that story in the New York Post. And spoiled entitlement permeates much of what I see and hear about Peyton Manning. I believe that entitlement is at the roots of the things I don't like about Peyton Manning. He came from wealth. He was bred and trained to be a quarterback. Neither of those two things in and of themselves are negative traits, but there's just something that feels unnatural about it. And I admit it. I know it's irrational to feel that way because just because someone comes from wealth and just because someone was born and bred and trained to be a quarterback from an early age doesn't mean they're a bad person. But something inside me still perceives Peyton Manning as unnatural, as entitled, as aristocratic. And there's just something ugly about that that I can't quite fully understand why I find that so off-putting. But I do. I think it's the same reason we rooted for the Charlie character in The Scent of a Woman. We rooted for the Charlie character and we despised the George character played by Philip Seymour Hoffman. Here's Charlie facing the fire. There's George hiding in Big Daddy's pocket. And what are you going to do, Mr. Trask? You're going to reward George, and you're going to destroy Charlie. Right? George is Peyton Manning in that situation. And Charlie is Drew Brees. But that's Peyton Manning. He's an entitled ego monster. He is. And it started when he was born. He was born into wealth, and he was born into a family that expected him to be the next Archie Manning. So when you set an entitled ego monster into the world, why would anyone be surprised when that guy, when Peyton Manning, thinks that everyone around him exists to propel his career forward? Why would you be surprised to learn that Peyton Manning believes that the people around him are only there for his own amusement or to help him along? Peyton Manning believed that the athletic trainer at the University of Tennessee existed to help him and for his own amusement. That's why as she was trying to help him, he amused himself. And only someone that comes from the kind of privilege that Peyton Manning comes from could be wired in such a way that that situation would have even been possible. And that's what's off-putting about it. There's just something about the entitlement that someone would have to feel to put themselves in that situation and to embarrass another person the way Peyton Manning embarrassed the trainer at the University of Tennessee. So I don't know why anyone would be surprised by the details in this Sean King story. Number one, they're old, so you shouldn't be surprised if you were paying attention. But if you're younger and you were too young to remember that story, that situation, you shouldn't be surprised. Peyton Manning has been acting in an entitled way. He's been acting like a spoiled brat his entire career. Where have you been? How are you surprised by this? Peyton Manning is one of the few quarterbacks in the league that has given us a window into his true character. A year ago, the listeners of this show wanted me to do a full show speculating on what quarterbacks were like behind the scenes. What were their true nature when the cameras were off? What is Tom Brady really like? Who is Peyton Manning really? I talked about possibly doing a full show just on that topic and put it up for a vote. 
Everybody wanted that show. Every one of you wanted me to speculate about the character of NFL quarterbacks. Who are they really? What are they really like when the cameras are off? And I never did that show. You wanted that show. We talked about doing that show. And then the show just never happened. And I didn't mention it again. And you didn't mention it again. And and we move on. But I'll tell you why that show didn't happen. I never did the show because for most of the quarterbacks in the NFL, I couldn't even get to the point of speculating about what they're really like when the cameras are off. These quarterbacks are so well-trained to camouflage their true selves that it was impossible to even speculate what they're really like. I mean, I can name maybe five guys I feel like I know what they're like when the cameras are off. Tom Brady is a closet nerd who is genuinely kind and thankful for what's happened to him, but deep down, he's just not sure he deserves it. Peyton Manning believes he deserves every championship and more. Tom Brady does not. But because of this insecurity, Tom Brady does lash out at times. Here's a quote from Tom Brady. I'm a pretty good winner, but I'm also a bad loser. I like to rub it in when I win. Just remember that quote the next time this infernal Cam Newton press conference story comes up again. If it comes up again. Because it will come up again. Just remember that quote from Tom Brady. Cam Newton. There's an example of a quarterback who I have no earthly idea what Cam Newton is like behind the scenes. Couldn't tell you. Couldn't even hypothesize. I don't have the faintest idea what Cam Newton is really like. I think I know what Tony Romo is like, though. Tony Romo is the preppy guy who wears sweaters and polo shirts and golfs three times a week. But he's also that guy in the foursome that's giving everybody shit. If you miss a putt, he'll he'll be the first one to tell you about it. He's joking around, but at the same time, he does it with a, a gravitas. And he does it with a style that exudes leader, that exudes starting quarterback in the NFL. So he's an affable guy who carries himself with grace. And he's also just a preppy. That's my high-level speculative analysis of Tony Romo. Philip Rivers is the easiest one of all. Philip Rivers is like Ricky Bobby at the dinner table. The end. Now, Ben Roethlisberger, I think Ben Roethlisberger knows he's not very bright deep down inside, and he's been trying to overcompensate for this his whole life, but he just can't help but be a cheesy bully. Bullying teammates, bullying women. He just can't help himself because he's not sophisticated, he's not very intelligent, and he knows it. Now, what other quarterbacks are out there? Quarterbacks with experience. Because I I certainly have no idea what Blake Bortles is like. He's only been in the league a couple of years. I don't even know what Matt Ryan's like. How the hell should I know what Matt Ryan is like? Who out there knows anything about Matt Ryan? I mean, Matt Ryan. Talk about an empty vessel. No one has any idea what the blank slate that is Matt Ryan is. You don't know what Andy Dalton's really like. You don't know what Ryan Tannehill's really like. It's impossible. I feel like I know what Drew Brees is like. Drew Brees is just perpetually wired to do the right thing. I think he's super dedicated to every aspect of his life. Work, play, family, just super dedicated. That's how I view Drew Brees. And you can totally see Drew Brees one day going into politics for altruistic reasons. And then eventually he'll be corrupted as they all are, blah, blah, blah. Speaking of politics, I think the reason many people don't like Peyton Manning are the same reasons they can't stand Donald Trump. Because you can say negative things about Donald Trump. He has plenty of negative characteristics, sure. But Donald Trump is an immensely talented orator. He's a great public speaker, and he's a wizard in interviews. You can't take that away from him. You can, 
You can dismiss a lot about Donald Trump. You can't dismiss that. If Donald Trump's dad hadn't given him millions of dollars, he would be unstoppable right now. Because it's not his brashness or his lies that people can't get over. It's his entitled, smug disposition that so many people just can't stand. And behind Peyton Manning, there is that entitled, smug disposition. And it's what's made all of the controversy surrounding Peyton Manning possible. That's what's at the roots of it all. But mostly the quarterback position is just filled with bland characters, which is the opposite of the wide receiver position. This past week, Josh Morgan, another NFL player, shot himself by accident. He shot himself by accident. Only in the NFL. Not only was this a prototypical NFL story, it was a typical wide receiver story right? It's not just that you don't hear about athletes in other sports shooting themselves by accident. How many other singular positions in other sports are this volatile, are this eclectic? The wide receiver position. Plaxico Burris, Josh Morgan. The wide receiver position has multiple athletes shooting themselves by accident, but the wide receiver position also has Larry Fitzgerald, Roddy White, Antonio Brown. Some of the friendliest, most interesting athletes in the world play the wide receiver position. And also, some of the most misguided, egomaniacal, shoot-yourself-in-the-leg-in-a-nightclub athletes also play the wide receiver position. Because you feel like most of the quarterbacks just come off an assembly line, and they're all the same. They all look alike. The wide receiver position is the opposite. It's the most eclectic position in sports. No one works harder, gives back more, is more involved with the Players Association than Larry Fitzgerald. And yet, for every Larry Fitzgerald, you have a Justin Blackman who just abandons the sport and goes on a bender and is never heard from again. The wide receiver position is weird. Terrell Owens is one of the best receivers of all time, and he didn't make the Hall of Fame because he's viewed as a cancer in the locker room. Not a good teammate. Sorry, he doesn't check the good teammate box on the Hall of Fame application. What? Terrell Owens' outsized personality kept him out of the Hall of Fame. That's the wide receiver position. People ask, why are you such a fan of the NFL? It's because of that. It's because of wide receivers. They're just interesting, man. They're just interesting. What other position in sports gives you the spectrum of personalities and characters that the NFL wide receiver position gives you? The answer is none. The answer is none, and it's not even close. Multiple wide receivers shot themselves by accident in the last 10 years. And one of my favorite wide receivers is Dante Moncrief. And Dante Moncrief is absolutely happening. We've had plenty of buzzards write in, members of the Minions write in, hey, can you talk about Dante Moncrief on the show? And absolutely. Dante Moncrief is going into his third year in the league. He's still 22 years old. And he's primed for one of the bigger breakouts of the 2016 season. If you had to make a short list of players that are likely to break out in spectacular fashion in 2016, Dante Moncrief would be on everyone's top five, or he should be. Because even though Dante Moncrief was technically the number three receiver on the Indianapolis Colts last year, he still garnered over an 11% hog rate, which is targets per snap. 
His snap share was near the top of the league, even though technically throughout the season, he was behind T.Y. Hilton and behind Andre Johnson on the depth chart. Why is that? Because the Colts felt like they needed to have Dante Moncrief on the field. Why did they feel like they needed to have Dante Moncrief on the field? Because he can win in all quadrants. This is the thing we talk about with the wide receivers we really like. We really like the wide receivers that can win in all quadrants. You can deploy him at X. You can deploy them at Z. You can deploy them at Y. They can win underneath. They can win deep. They can win along the sideline. They can win over the middle. That's what Dante Moncrief can do. Dante Moncrief was winning in all quadrants at age 18 at the University of Mississippi. So it's all systems go for Dante Moncrief. Dante Moncrief had an exciting rookie year. He had a plus 12.8 production premium as a rookie, which was 21st in the league. 9.1 yards per target was top 20. 65.3% catch rate was top 25. 1.96 fantasy points per target was top 20. Dante Moncrief had an incredibly efficient rookie season, including a plus 11.2% target premium, which was number 31 in the league. That's the percent of production that Dante Moncrief accounted for on a per-target basis above and beyond the other receivers on the Colts. So now if you go to 2015, Dante Moncrief's efficiency metrics on playerprofiler.com were not as high in 2015 as they were in 2014, which makes sense because in 2014, he was a situational player. In 2015, he was an every-down player. And the first year a wide receiver is thrust into an every-down role, they're almost never as efficient as the year before when they were in a situational role because they're asked to do a lot more and they become a focal point of the defense. And so that's typically a learning season. Most receivers go back to the first year they became an every-down player and point to that season as a seminal moment a key season in the learning process, the growth curve of them one day becoming an elite receiver. And so in his second year in the league, Dante Moncrief had 733 receiving yards and six touchdowns. He was a top 50 fantasy wide receiver, despite the fact that he lost his quarterback for the majority of the season. Even when Andrew Luck was playing, he was playing at well less than 100%. I would speculate that Dante Moncrief would have been a top 30 wide receiver had he played with the 2014 version of Andrew Luck, healthy and prolific. And so while most of his efficiency metrics were underwhelming in 2015, I would point you to the one efficiency metric that factors out quarterback play, target premium. Dante Moncrief's target premium in 2015 was plus 12.5%. That was number 26 in the league. That was the highest among Colts receivers. So it's understandable that his production and efficiency would decline with Matt Hasselbeck at quarterback. Makes sense. But when you compare his production and his efficiency to the other receivers on the Colts, he was the best despite substandard conditions, despite a less than ideal situation. He excelled. And now he is a young third-year receiver poised to become an every down starting flanker receiving passes from Andrew Luck in all quadrants of the football field. How can you not bet on this player? You might say, well, he's in a great situation in 2016. Andrew Luck starting flanker. Yeah, yeah, that receiver is bound to fail, right? <laughs> but you might say, well, 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 he's in a great situation. But in a vacuum, intrinsically, Dante Moncrief's not a great receiver. 
And I would say, oh, are you kidding me? Dante Moncrief has a 119.5 96th percentile height adjusted speed score on playerprofiler.com. A 1020 86th percentile catch radius. He's big. He's fast. He's explosive. And he was productive at an early age in college. All the things we look for when we're evaluating college prospects, Dante Moncrief checked those boxes. Dante Moncrief was Laquan Treadwell at Mississippi before Laquan Treadwell, except Dante Moncrief broke out at an earlier age. And Dante Moncrief was unfortunate to have been in a draft class that happened to be one of the best draft classes we've ever seen. If Dante Moncrief were coming out this year, it's very possible he would be a first round pick because his prospect profile in a vacuum looks like a first round pick, looks like Laquan Treadwell. Now put him on the Colts with Andrew Luck as a starting receiver. What do you think is gonna happen with Dante Moncrief? It's all systems go, baby! Our Houston, we have uh, entered the uh, stratosphere over. So we have entered the exterior ionosphere of the world. <laughs> I don't know what I'm saying. What am I saying? That was terrible. Psh, uh, Houston, we have. Uh, uh, psh, you <laughs> can't do this. Ah! Psh, uh, Houston, do we have. <laughs> Fuck! <laughs> okay, get it together. Uh, this is the USS Dante Moncrief, over. Psst, uh, Houston, uh, we have exited the Earth's atmosphere. We are in outer space, over. Psst. Finally! A metaphor with meaning you could actually follow. Gosh. Speaking of wide receivers that I love, people want to put Jeff Janis back in the bottle. They do. They want to pretend that Jeff Janis never happened, that he never broke out in the playoffs against Arizona. You can't put the Jeff Janis genie back in the bottle. And if you drafted Jeff Janis two years ago and you've held on this long, you're not dropping the next red hot wide receiver commodity for a third round pick. You're just not. You held on to Jeff Janis for two years. You didn't drop him. You had so many opportunities to drop Jeff Janis in the last two years. So many new, productive wide receivers that you could have wanted to go pick up, needed to go pick up, desperate to go pick up. And the only player on your squad that had almost no hope of being productive in 2015 was Jeff Janis. And yet you didn't drop him. Throughout 2014 and 2015, if you held on to Jeff Janis, then you are a true believer because you had so many opportunities to drop him for the next hot commodity and you didn't. So those people are not going to be trading Jeff Janis for a third round pick. It's just not going to happen. There's no way on earth you would trade Jeff Janis now at this point for a third round rookie draft pick. No one's doing that. Yet I see these supposed deals that occurred where someone traded Jeff Janis for a fourth round pick or someone else traded Jeff Janis for a third round rookie pick. And it, it's not believable. Okay, you're lying if you said that you just traded away Jeff Janis for a fourth round pick. You're lying. You're also lying if you said that you acquired Jeff Janis for a fourth round pick. No one is selling Jeff Janis for a third round pick. No one is selling Jeff Janis for a fourth round pick. I don't even think anyone's selling Jeff Janis for a second round pick. Because again, you had an opportunity to pick up the equivalent of a second round pick for the last two years on the waiver wire and you didn't. 
So I don't believe that you would accept a second round pick for Jeff Janis. I don't believe anyone in this audience would do that. And if you do, you're a fool. It's a fake market. The trade market for Jeff Janis right now is just fake. And if you are trading Jeff Janis for anything less than a first round rookie pick, then you never deserve to own him anyway. And yes, I am yelling. We had a buzzer right in about my yelling. Love the content, just hate the yelling, wrote the buzzard. It scares the kids. First of all, you don't love the content. You can't say that you love the content. You can't preface your criticism with, I love the content, because much of this content is yelling! So clearly, you don't love the content. You like some of the content, and you don't like other aspects of the content, specifically the yelling! Clearly, you don't like the yelling, and you don't have any kids. How do I know this? Because your Twitter handle is FCashflow with no W. That's why I know you don't have any kids, FCashflow. By the way, don't you mean FFCashflow? <laughs> Did you, you have enough letters to use. You can add the F. Was that just a mistake when you made your Twitter handle? You know it's FF, right? Fantasy football? I mean, <laughs> if that's your level of attention to detail in life, I sure hope you don't have kids. And I feel bad that you don't have any good fantasy podcast to listen to. Because there's so few of them out there other than mine. I'm so sorry that you're doomed to always have to listen to this yelling guy scaring your kids. There are only 700,000 other fantasy football podcasts available on iTunes. So I'm sorry. I apologize. I mean, this is the only podcast available to you, the fantasy football sports fan. Even if it was, even if this was the only fantasy football podcast available, that doesn't mean that Twitter is your own personal volume dial. Did you really think that you could email me or tweet me, me or any other podcast host, and fundamentally change their style? Did you really think when you were typing that that was possible, that that was in the range of outcomes of your message? Really? But you didn't even criticize my style in a straightforward fashion. You didn't. You couldn't even summon the courage to do that. Your criticism was veiled. You used a fictional child to soften your selfish sentiment. I mean, who would feel that self-important and that entitled that they feel like they could go to Twitter to tweak the knobs of someone else's show? I mean, who do you think you are? Peyton Manning? Peyton Manning listens to this show, and he thinks he's the only member of the audience. Jeez, I really should email that fantasy mansion guy, see if he maybe turn the volume down a little bit. I'm sure he'll do that, because I'm Peyton Manning, and everybody exists for my pleasure to help me. If you're not here to help me, then I don't even understand why you exist. Or if I want to do a prank, then you need to be the subject of my prank and just eat it and like it, because I'm Peyton Manning. So bad. That was so bad. That was more Ricky Bobby than Peyton Manning. That was just, oh, that was awful. I can make up voices all day. Just fictional voices. I can do fictional voices. I can't do impressions. This has been about, I think we've had about 11 shows where I have tried my best to do an impression of a fantasy analyst, of an athlete, and I failed. Officially, as of this show, I'm giving up on impressions. It's not something I'm good at. I need to focus on what I'm good at. I need to hone my craft. No more impressions. That was that Peyton Manning impression was terrible. And if I do impressions from now on, just know that I do them with irony, that I know they're awful, and that's why I'm doing them. So bad they're good, hopefully. Did F Cashflow maybe ever think about 
pausing his own narcissism and thinking for a second that maybe, maybe that a podcast that has over 200 episodes has over 200 episodes because audience members like the host's style. Did, did that ever occur to him? I believe F Cashflow would walk up to a street performer playing a guitar for free and tell him, you're not loud enough. Or better yet, my daughter thinks you're not loud enough. My daughter can't hear you. Can you please play louder? Try strumming harder, street performer. I mean, that's what it's like. A normal person would walk up to the street performer and ask for a particular song. That's what normal audience members do. Most of the emails and tweets we get are compliments or requests to cover a particular player, like Dante Moncrief, or some funny quip adding to the show. We actually don't get very many trolls. That's why I wanted to bring up and mention this troll on the show, because we get so few of them. I don't troll. I don't. I actually don't troll. I've been blocked by less than five people that I know of. I've been blocked by NFLosophy because I retweeted a criticism of him. Sian Fahey found out about hashtag alien time capsule and blocked me. Johnny Rumford blocked me as retribution for criticizing one of his articles. But that's about it. The extent of my trolling is hashtag alien time capsule, which is a subversive inside joke amongst the audience. That's it. So I don't understand the mentality of the troll. So I said to him, no, go listen to another podcast. Let's F cash flow. He closed out the conversation by saying, I don't want to unsubscribe. But if this is how you treat your customers, then I guess I'll have to. A, you're not a customer. The show is free. And B, I know you won't unsubscribe, Mr. Hollow Threat. I know you're listening to the show right now.